Hi there. I'm Sean Mannix. I'm a actor and singer and I'll say mover <laughs> from uh, New York City. I grew up on Long Island, but I've been in the city since 2015. I graduated uh, from NYU Tisch in 2018. So like right under the bar for COVID and every- everything getting finished school-wise that way. Um, since I graduated, I've been doing mostly theater, um, both in the city and some stuff outside. I've performed at Theater for the New City uh, with the Camden Shakespeare Festival in Maine, with Black Box Performing Arts Center in Bergen County, New Jersey. Um, And I can be heard on the upcoming cast album for Brothers Right, A Folktale with Songs, which will be streaming soon, hopefully. Cool. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll look at I'll look into that and put a link in the description for people. Thank you. So, I have Sean on here because Sean was in a movie I made over the summer and I'm still technically making. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think this is going to be the first of a rolling series where I have everybody from that project come on this podcast because um, I don't I don't really know how to promote that movie. It's it's a super strange movie. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if I started by introducing people to my collaborators? It seemed like a natural way to do it. Uh, and so our fir- very first person from that movie is Sean. <laughs> and so, Sean, welcome. Thank and, you. Uh, so today, we're recording this on election day in the United States. It's a big, big day right now. And uh, I thought, what better way to not be, you know, to avoid looking at social media in the news <laughs> than to record a podcast. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm sure we'll have to talk about it at some point. <laughs> now, yeah, I'm on my way here, actually, because I had to take the Staten Island Ferry. So oh, literally on this, maybe the most important election day in our history, I'm passing by the Statue of Liberty and trying not to have a breakdown. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that that's one of the only good things about living out here is you get to see that every every time you go into Manhattan. Oh yeah. Uh but yeah, I I don't know if I can see that today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we drove out to the grocery store just before uh swinging by the ferry terminal and um the you know they they have those Trump parades, the the trucks, you know, the people with the the flat back trucks and they put up these big Trump signs and they're parading around and it's just like, Oh yeah. But no, you- they've been like, I know they like tried to block off Joe Biden's bus in Texas or whatever they've they been. did. Yeah. It was, I mean, I don't know all the details, but I saw that they like circled around Joe Biden's campaign bus. I think it was in Texas. <sighs> um, and they've been like blocking traffic probably to stop people from voting. Yeah, well, we just came back from Massachusetts. We did a weekend in the Berkshires uh, mm. to spend with some family. Every quarter, my sister and I, my sister lives in Maine. And so mm. every quarter we meet halfway and have brunch. And that's in the Berkshires. Nice. And so I drive out from New York. She drives down from Maine. And uh, when we were coming back, we were going through Hartford and traffic got backed up. I'm like, why is traffic in Hartford backed <laughs> up on a Sunday afternoon? This makes no sense. And it was one of those Trump parades 
on a highway and it's not even a good highway to be doing it on because it's it's one of those highways where if you're not in a very specific lane you're going in the wrong direction right and so that that was pretty infuriating and i also read that um the republicans in california were putting fake ballot drop boxes yep you heard about that yeah and they got caught doing it and said they were just going to keep doing it yeah they didn't give a shit so it's a, it's a war of ideology for sure. Um, but I mean, on the good side of it, like early voting is up by like unprecedented numbers. Like I think more people, I mean, obvious, I think, I think it's safe to say more people have voted early in this election than ever before. Oh yeah. Well, that's what the NPR is saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, that no, but that there's no time in our history where early voting was so high. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first time, we did uh, in this household absentee drop off. So we got absentee ballots in the mail, and we went straight to the elections office and dropped them off. Gotcha. Where are you registered? Uh, here. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, this is actually a, re- a re- technically kind of a Republican leaning borough. Yeah, so, yeah, Staten Island. But, uh, last two years ago, Max Rose, the Democrat, won, which was a big deal. Oh yeah, and the war between him and his his uh, opposition, which is a Republican named Nicole Maliotakis, mm-hmm. has been brutal. Like the advertisements have just been vicious. I can imagine. Well, no, yeah, I have um, I have a friend who I went to school with. Uh, her name's uh, Maddie Linsalata, who won Miss Staten Island, um, but she was blocked from being in the some Staten Island St. Patrick's Day parade because she came out as bi. Oh, yeah, that sounds the speed out here. <laughs> this is why we're trying to change things out here. Yeah. Um, this is why it was a big deal when Max won, because it is really, really, like, it's one thing to be right-leaning, and then there's sort of the hate, hateful version of it, which is definitely where a lot of Staten Island falls into. Right. Um, and there's just also a lot of... One of the things um, I tweeted about recently was this ad that's been funded by um, a super PAC, and... It's basically all these ex-cops spewing lies about kind of what Max Rose did or didn't do. And it's just like the amount of disinformation that people are just happily willing to provide their neighbors, where they're literally our neighbors and we're their neighbors, uh, to win this election is just so off-putting. Yeah. Um, but we're in the borough of, of cops, and so it's, it's going to be a tough one. This is where everybody lives, who's <laughs> a cop. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, so that's uh, so it's gonna be, it's going to be a big day uh, today. Whatever yeah. happens is going to define this country moving forward. So that's why we create art. Oh, absolutely. I was telling somebody during pre-production of this film that we did, Fractals, that the very act of choosing the art life is a protest in and of itself <laughs> against sort of the those that, I don't know, I just I just feel like the whole system works against this it's definitely a rejection of a certain kind of security certainly 
but like a certain kind of value in success even though i mean art as an industry is very much plagued by like the bottom line and money and how that comes in the way of actually being able to make art that says something bold and that is inclusive of all voices yeah yeah what what has been your experience with pursuing the arts in general like I don't know for me I do get I initially I got resistance from people back home right Mm. some people supported it some a lot of people didn't um i was pretty lucky i would say um my parents well i mean once they realized i was really serious about wanting to be an actor they were i mean i didn't know how supportive they would be of, of that but they were surprisingly very much they trusted me and knew that this was very much what i wanted to do um, and that I was serious about it and that I was going to work hard to be able to do what I love. So, I mean, they let me go to college for it. They let me move to the city and try to pursue it rather than persuading me to go for something a little more secure. I, they did want me initially to try to like double major at least, but <laughs> um, that ended up not really being feasible. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm very grateful that I was able to be supported in it. Do you have other artists in your family? Um, not professionally. Um, my sister has done uh, theater growing up just like I did, um, and she still does it here and there, but um, she's actually going into digital journalism. She's studying at Pace right now. Um, I say at Pace, but more virtually at pace <laughs> yeah oh interesting so um it if if you were to head double major what would the other side of that coin be uh, that's interesting for a while i remember thinking i was going to go into like international relations hmm. um because I something about like being an ambassador or like a like a foreign diplomat seemed very exciting and romantic to me, um, and I think I was hoping that I would turn into like a secret agent somehow through that. Um, I remember when I was like little little boy, I had the you know the classic like oh I want to be an astronaut, but then I realized like how much physical work goes into that, and I was like oh never mind, I'll wait until I will wait until SpaceX starts doing tours or whatever. Yeah, that's what I'm waiting for too. <laughs> I don't know if I would I could go through the what the government puts people through. Yeah. I mean it, I just think of that scene in um Moonraker where Roger Moore's in the the zero G simulator or whatever and it keeps getting faster and faster. Oh. Yeah, cuz they have to they have to prepare people or mentally train them to deal with liftoff cuz Yeah. It's just such a mind bog mo- boggling amount of energy <laughs> that you're on top of uh, yeah yeah uh, what you been up to since we wrapped um i've actually been i'm actually a so a company one of the companies i mentioned black box in bergen county 
they since quarantine have been had been doing like weekly online readings of Shakespeare plays but we were able to actually do a live um summer Shakespeare season this summer outdoors um and the audience and the actors on stage were all masked so it was interesting performing Shakespeare in masks <laughs> we did um measure for measure in the tempest but i kind of like that we ended up doing it and were able to do it in such a safe way because it i like the message that gets sent out that like if you can do shakespeare in a mask you can go to the grocery store for 15 minutes in one yeah um and right (laughs) now um hopefully it can last but it's been going well and the safety protocols have all been working we are doing an indoor production of who's afraid of virginia wolf oh nice um so we have limited audience capacity for that. The actors are all, uh, we're all getting tested weekly. Um, and the audience is, you know, six feet back from us. They all have to be in masks. Uh, the doors are opened for airflow. How, and, how separated is each audience member from one another? So um, it's based on like the groups that buy tickets together um, that are in households. Uh, we'll arrange the chairs based on what groups are coming. And mostly they're all on different platforms. So like we took the platforms that normally we like set up performance on um, and we use them to like be their own stations that audience can sit at. That sounds like a viable way to go about reopening theater. Yeah, as far as as far as like any kind of indoor theater right now can go, it's working pretty well. Did I tell you that like I had tickets to Hamilton Oh, no. Right before the pandemic. <laughs> and they had to refund them. Yeah. And they were gifted to me, too, which is like the worst, cause which means if, I, if they do reopen, I'll probably have to pay for them again. Right. Yeah. That's, I, hope they, I hope Broadway finds its way back soon. Uh, it's Missing out, like Broadway not having a holiday season to yeah. perform in is going to devastate the whole industry. If, I mean, it's already devastated. It's, it's going to put the nail in a coffin for a lot of shows. Yeah, I mean, I've just gotten so numb to each announcement of how much later it's going to be. Like, remember back in March when they were like, it's going to be closed till April. And I was like devastated. But then then they were like, oh, now now September. And I'm like, uh, and then they were like, oh, January. And I'm like, uh, and now yeah. they're saying it's not till June. And at this point, I'm accepting that it might be even later than that. I know the Mets not coming back until fall of 2021. Jeez. Yeah, well, I mean, it's. It was hard to tell because nobody had ever done this in our lifetime or our grandparents' lifetimes, mm-hmm. this whole pandemic thing. And so I think that the fall is a better timeline just in taking into consideration uh, a potential vi- a virus vaccine and then how that will be rolled out, you know? Yeah. So. I mean, hopefully we get it soon, but also hopefully it comes from people we can trust. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. Um, I, I, you know, I watch Bill Maher and some of these other talking heads uh, that I can tolerate. And Mm -hmm. uh, there was one person who was saying something like, oh, if Fauci tells me to take it, I'll take it. If so-and-so tells me to take it. I'm not going to take it. <laughs> you know? And I think yeah, that's kind of where my mind's at, too. Like, it depends who tells me to take it, you know? Basically, I'm going to listen to the experts on it. Yeah. Hot take. 
<laughs> so, uh, Sean, where are you from? I am from Long Island. I grew up in Wading River, which is almost the North Fork, if that means anything to you. Yep. I remember when you first said that to me. I'm like, that sounds like it's in the North Fork. Yeah, it's uh, like 10 minutes from Splish Splash, if you know where that is. I don't know where that is. But I noticed that with Long Island, there's a certain way places are named that you can kind of almost guesstimate where it is. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I once, uh, I once, the first movie that I made when I moved to New York was a movie about Long Island seceding from New York State. Ooh. It's called The Long Island Project. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's the worst movie I've ever made. But, and I don't know if I would ever remake it. But um, we, yeah, that we went out to Long Island and we shot all over the place. And we had an evil senator who was against the secession movement. And, we went down to D.C. and filmed him sneaking into various government offices as a senator. <laughs> For real. We ended up stealing uh, some footage with Congressman Henry Hyde, who's now deceased. Mm-hmm. Hyde was the guy who went after Clinton for the Lewinsky scandal. Oh, yeah. He was a Republican. And so we had him conspiring with our villain, which is very fitting. <laughs> so... That's my my experience with Long Island. I also shot a couple pilots out there in mm. Bay Shore, though. That's which is further south. But yeah, it's a real pretty place. Yeah, do you go back a lot? Um, I tip usually get back there like at least like once a month, maybe just like for a couple days to get out to get home. I was I was back home for quarantine from like march to june Hmm. so just in my childhood home uh for all of that and staying mostly in my house um but yeah since i got back to the city i've been going back less you know because i less traveling less exposure yeah less risking bringing it back Mm -hmm. yeah i think people had to decide like, because I think about the big exodus that happened over the spring and summer. Yeah. And I think people just had to decide, well, if they're here, then they kind of have to lock down here or they have to choose to leave and not come back mm-hmm. for a long time. And I think people just decided to leave. Like the first time I went back to Manhattan in, in the summer, I was just so weirded out by all the rental uh, moving trucks that yeah. were just parked all over the place with just young people, people in their 20s loading their stuff. It's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that home is so close to the city and that I've been lucky enough to be able to still afford rent for my apartment. No real problem. A lot of that was thanks to the, the extra 600 a week that we had for a while. Oh, I miss that. Uh, me too. I really want that back. Same. Yeah. I don't know if, if we would have made it without that. And honestly, like, they really need to pass something else. Preaching to the choir. I know. Absolutely. (laughs) I have have my own bubble. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So you you played in Fractals, Mm -hmm. A Man in Black, which is the most recurring type of character I write. 
Oh, really? Yeah, I write a lot of like secret agent type mysterious <laughs> men in black popping up all over the place. And uh... yeah, yeah, it's a cool, cool blank slate kind of spy character to jump into. Well, let me ask you some questions because you know I'm always trying to understand actors and mm-hmm. and. It's actually, they're always my main type of collaborator, but I never really um, understand what actors are looking for in certain respects. Right. And because I'm always, from where I said, I just, oh, I got a cool story. I got some cool character ideas. I got uh, some stuff I want to get off my chest, so I'm just going to write it. Yeah. And then I worry about how, how it comes off later in terms of production. So one of the, one of the th- films that I attempted to make some years back... I wrote it in terms of like blank slated characters, even the main characters. So like the main character was inspector one, inspector two, mm-hmm. inspector's supervisor, and then intern, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I was sort of mapping out all of the characters of this mystery in terms of their job. Yeah. And then when I cast people, I'd cast random people that I wouldn't even think I would cast so Inspector sort of became this young woman in her early thirties, and then we built all of her, um, all the details of her character based on what she decided she wanted. Right. So even her name, she chose her name, and she named herself after her grandmother or something like that. That's awesome. Uh, I don't know. I got the feeling though that not everybody was into that concept, and some of some people just wanted me to give them like a folder of all the details of their character. Uh-huh. Um I mean, yeah, it's I think it's definitely a thing that's different actor to actor, especially based on what kind of training you get. I personally I'm flexible on that if there's a lot of backstory or if there's not because I think part of the fun of it is taking what is there um and kind of like figuring it out for yourself um yeah. and kind of like what you said letting bringing yourself to this character you're playing especially if it's like an original character um cuz i think that's the whole nature of acting is bringing yourself to whatever you're playing and that's the fun of it yeah that's what i imagined the fun would be yeah like i used to think for a long time that acting was like pretending you were someone else and becoming (laughs) like oh yeah like the method like dana carvey master of disguise become another person (laughs) become another person but no it's it's i've really learned that it's like putting yourself in do the the stanislavski thing living truthfully under imaginary circumstances oh that's perfect living truthfully under imaginary circumstances yeah yeah. That's good. So yeah, and I mean it's it's funny that uh the character I ended up playing was this kind of like mysterious spy person cuz in the 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 Tempest production I was telling you about, it was actually like James Bond themed. Um so I was living in a world i was like immersing myself in the that world of like the james bond movies and austin powers that that is a big part of my process as an actor is to like 
find things within the world of the play that I'm in and kind of like immerse myself. Um, one, cause I think it's just a cool way to learn about something that you might not otherwise be exposed to. And two, cause I think that really seeping in as much of like a culture or a zeitgeist of a certain topic that relates to the play really brings a lot to a performance for me. What are some of the media that you'll digest? Uh, will you, uh, you'll do films, you'll do plays. Uh, yeah, mostly like movies or TV shows, uh, books. Yeah. If I can, uh, I'll listen to podcasts that like tackle that subject. Nice podcasts. Mm. I know something about them. (laughs) (laughs) I would hope so. Yeah. I I find that before every project, um, just to get into sort of the indie spirit, because I find that as I get every year passes, I have to fight harder to maintain my indie spirit. And Mm -hmm. so to reinvigorate that energy for me, it's just like I have to watch like a bunch of independent films that have been made for peanuts. Yeah. And then that'll start the process and then I'll work my way into sort of a usual back catalog of financed yeah. productions and sometimes or, I'll read, sometimes I won't. Or even something like music actually is really helpful to me too. Oh, yeah. Um like I I love one of my favorite like meth processes for myself is making a playlist for each show I'm in. And I'll listen to it like on the train there or while I'm warming up. That's yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is with my writing, my writing is largely informed by music. Mm-hmm. Whereas my films are largely informed by literature mm. in terms of like ideas and putting those ideas into some sort of context that works. Right. And I've actually just spent the past few weeks re organizing from scratch my entire digital music library so i went into all my old cd collections and i re-digitized everything and i think i'm going to do that thing too where like i create playlists for work in progress projects Uh uh-huh which i used to do back when i was still doing audio cassettes and cds nice but i never did it in the digital world and so now i'm going to start doing that uh because i have all these projects that are 100 percent informed by music some of it's pop music, some of it's classical. Um, and so I've just been combining every piece of music I ever owned or that Jan ever owned into one digital collection so that I can draw from it. Nice. A lot of Gilbert and Sullivan, let me tell you. Ah, oh, I love Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> I think we got five. It's like the musical equivalent of giggling. <laughs> and I mean that in the best way. Well, I can, yeah. <laughs> That's a, that's a good description. <laughs> you you watch a lot of films. I do. Um, actually, this uh, quarantine, my one friend gave me her Criterion account password, so I've been using the pandemic to become a film snob. It's been really nice. fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. I mean. Criterion re- <laughs> product placement. Criterion really is. Um, it's been a great resource for me to be exposed to films and filmmakers I otherwise definitely would never have even heard of. Yeah. Um, like especially a lot of foreign stuff, a lot of independent 
directors, a lot of female directors, a lot of POC directors. Um, As a distributor, they're like the number one for for me. Like oh, they're yeah. my dream. Um, but yeah, that's the in terms of like female directors. Like I don't know any specific like data, but something tells me that if you were to say which distributor distributes the most female directed films, it has to be them. Oh, absolutely. And like, even like as a queer person, like before criteria, before criteria, before I was like watching a lot of criteria and the only real, like queer movies I knew was stuff like the birdcage to Wong Fu, which are great movies. I love them, but like, I would have never heard of people like Cheryl Dunye without criterion. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And because nobody was putting that stuff out initially. Um, oh, I never thought of that. But yeah, that is, that's a whole separate playlist in their collection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, uh, after the pandemic started and we realized we weren't leaving, I subscribed to that as well. Uh, I used to buy, to straight up buy their Blu-rays, but... I don't do that that much anymore. I think before I like was aware of Criterion as an institution, I did indeed. I do indeed have the the Criterion edition DVD of Grey Gardens <laughs> um, because I freaking love that movie. Um, yeah, we watched that together last spring. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And at that how the Grey Gardens house is like not that far from where I grew up. So I remember one like winter break while we were back from college. I made my friends drive us like the hour and a half out to the Hamptons just so we could sit outside and see it. Is it, is it dilapidated? No, it's actually, it's like a private property. People own it and they've like refurbished and live in it. So you can't like, there's a whole bunch of signs like no trespassing. Cause it's oh, this huge thing. Yeah. And I remember once I like, Another time I was driving home from the Hamptons and just decided to pass by it on the way home. Like, I got pulled over by a cop for being in that neighborhood. I did, too. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm, re- I'm just trying to see the Grey Gardens house. I did, too. Every, that's why I don't go out to Long Island. Because every time I've gone to Suffolk County, I'm always stopped by cops because mm. I don't appear to have any real business yeah. or something. And that always puts me off because I don't think people should be doing that. Uh, I, I think that people should be able to freely move to move around places and explore and yeah i mean to be fair i was technically stalking a house but but you know i have an obsession with houses that people live in but are also in some way or another tourist attractions because of their cultural oh yeah like there's another one in long island that uh attracts people and they had to change uh one of the windows to kind of oh are you talking about the amityville Yeah, yeah 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 they changed one of the windows to kind of throw people off the scent (laughs) <laughs> well, no, yeah. speaking of that, I, this is, I guess, kind of a habit I have now that I'm thinking of it. When I was out in Denver visiting my friends, we drove up to Boulder um, and, like, saw the the Ramsey, the JonBenet Ramsey house from the outside. <laughs> and it was, like, late at night when we did it. And there was, like, like, the lights were on and a family was in there. But, like, getting out of the car, you could just feel, like, bad energy. Oh. So we were like, we should, we should go. Interesting. But it was, it was, yeah, it's those houses definitely have a pull. Yeah, I, I've always been obsessed with those kinds of things. Because I always wanted to be able to do stuff like that. And I just never had the time or resources to drive out to places that, that often. Uh, I think 
I did it when I was in Orono, Maine at one point. I visited Stephen King's house. He had, um, I don't know if he's still in Maine or if he's in Florida full-time, but mm-hmm. he had this really spooky-looking Victorian mansion. <laughs> and it had a, an S and a K on the front gate, and it was a nice, creepy gate. Uh, you know, it was what you'd expect him to live in. So there's something about a haunted house. <laughs> yeah, and then I think the other sort of fan-driven trip I did was when I went out to New Jersey to visit Kevin Smith's filming locations. Oh, yeah. So I went to the Quick Stop in Leonardo, New Jersey, and then I visited his comic book store in Red Bank. Mm. And I also went out to Asbury Park because um, that's that's a location that was used in some of his work. So mm-hmm. Then we ended up making that a regular swimming spot in the summer. <laughs> so they got New Jersey got a lot of business from us because of Kevin Smith. Oh, nice. I'm trying to think too. I I know, like when I moved to New York City, I visited a lot of locations. Oh, definitely. Like the Ghostbusters Firehouse. Um, I don't know if you're into that movie, Cruel Intentions. That's one of my favorite movies. I've never seen it. I love Dangerous Liaisons, but I've never actually. I want to see Dangerous Liaisons. It's on my list. But the Cruel Intentions house was this uh, up. It's actually on the Upper West Side, and it's. uh, I think it's um, some kind of international office. Or something. I, I forget specifically, but it's not a house at all. So that was interesting. Um, no, yeah, I'm I trying did. to think what it was. A whole bunch. I remember there was. I think it was just like I was in, staying with my aunt for like a week to like, see a bunch of Broadway shows during my spring break in high school. Um, and one day, like I did, just did like before the show, I just walked through the city, seeing a bunch of like sites from books and movies like i saw the the duck pond in central park from a uh, catcher in the rye mm. uh the bethesda fountain because angels in america mm-hmm. um i did indeed buy like breakfast at a starbucks near tiffany's and then eat it out in front of tiffany's i did that too <laughs> I, I never admitted that though when i first moved to new york in the fall of 2003 i did that shit Nice. I even ate uh, a roll because I think she ate a, ate a roll. Yeah. 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 And listened to Moon River while I was doing it. <laughs> I like to create moments for myself. I like to manufacture <laughs> moments. Yeah. I think transplants get it. People who grew up here could give a shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's weird because I'm in this weird limbo of like I've lived in the area my whole life and gone into the city my whole life. So I never had that like. Like three bucks, two bags, one B moment, but right. <laughs> it's still like fresh and new for me. What's that from? Oh, Annie. Oh, as I was thinking, there's 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 lyrics like that in Forty Second Street as well, where because she, she comes from oh, yeah, Pennsylvania. That, <laughs> classic. That, yeah, that's one of my favorite shows. That was one of the first shows I saw. Forty Second Street. Yeah, when I moved here. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I like. I like stories of people going to a city, sometimes New York, sometimes L.A., and just mm-hmm. kind of throwing caution to the wind and trying to make something different that totally. isn't natural to their path, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, hear my cat screeching in the back. <laughs> but everybody who Talking listens to Gardens, this knows about all the cats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's that was a sad movie. That made me very sad. See, it is in a way, but also for me, there's something so heroic and admirable about them that while it is like 
there's a lot of melancholy in it watching it there's also a sense of like they're thriving and like making this life work for them even under these like wild like victorian circ like dickensian circumstances huh. um and just like i that like the story of gray gardens is such a fascinating like myth and like allegory for i don't know what it's for but it seems like like the story of this once wealthy family living in like the ruins of their own mansion seems so like yeah that takes on mythic proportions yeah, I can see how that. Even went. though it's a true story, so you, so you it, know the whole backstory and what resulted from the documentary too. Oh yeah, yeah, that was in what high was, school. Like learning about that was a big moment for me. And what was the thing? What what, what was the story where that Jackie was involved with? Oh, so she, um, the Big Edie and Little Edie were like her cousins, um, or. Yeah, they were they were cousins of Jackie O from like I think on her mother's side. Um so when that before the documentary happened, when the there were like news stories in local Long Island papers of like these ladies living in this broken like run down home that's like a sanitary hazard, so they were getting so many complaints. Um and like they realized she was related to Jackie O and she came like Jackie O came in and like cleaned it up for them but then it's they still kind of let it fall into disrepair after that um oh god i love gray gardens you know in the the 2000s i was i was like obsessed with caroline who caroline kennedy oh yeah and uh i remember one time when we were doing the long island project i walked by her on the upper east side Mm -hmm. and I, i was just like don't, I don't usually recognize famous people. I like don't have the radar for it, mm-hmm. but I'm just like my mind blew up. Like I was so excited. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, I'm on the same block as this person who months earlier I literally just finished reading her biography. Oh, cool. No, yeah, the Kennedys are so fascinating as like a yeah. dynasty industry, whatever they are. I consider them an American dynasty in a way. Yeah, uh, but they're also. An industry. I, I think once a family becomes that influential, they are industrialized in a kind of <laughs> weird little way. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's rare when you have such a wealthy, powerful family that people actually like. Yeah. Because most of the time that, that, that when an institution becomes that big and powerful and, and wealthy, and there's almost a disdain. Yeah, uh, it's because I mean, it, I, there's there's always a set. I feel like, well, even with the Kennedys, I feel like there's especially now like criticisms of them. But I feel like in any of those cases, there's it's a mix of fashion, fascination, disgust, envy, like with with the Kardashians, too, even with the royal family in Britain. <laughs> like, I, I, I think they're so silly as an institution, but I do love the crown. Right. Yeah, I can see the appeal of just from a pop culture standpoint. Yeah. Like I love pr- like talking about like like people you're obsessed with. I love Princess Diana and I'm fascinated by her story. Um 
What fascinates you about it, though? I, th- she just seems like I appreciate her being a person who used her immense privilege and put it to good use. Like mm-hmm. stories of her during the AIDS crisis when the Reagan administration like wouldn't even discuss it. She was like shaking hands with AIDS patients and and opening AIDS like wings of aid of hospitals. Right. Um and someone in that position who I know like the royal family hated her pretty much uh because she was the people's princess. Um but also, you know, as someone who grew up Irish American, anyone who like is undermining the crown I support. <laughs> oh, you're of Irish heritage? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm not a fan of um Honestly, I think representative democracy should should be the way, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> but again, uh, I, I, I love the Crown. I'm so excited structure. for the new season of the Crown. Oh yeah, I love that show. <laughs> like in real world, we're I getting don't care Diana it, and Margaret Thatcher in the same season. That's oh, gonna be my wow. God. Yeah, I want to see how they pull off Thatcher. <laughs> I'm excited, uh, Gillian Anderson. I'm very excited for. Yeah, we're uh, we alternate our subscriptions, so we're getting rid of HBO Max at the end of December mm-hmm. and going back to Netflix for a while, okay? Just so we can, you know, oh, that's up smart. that show. Yeah. Uh, well, we can't watch it all at the same time, so right. Yeah, we do a thing where like Prime, Amazon Prime is always on because mm-hmm. we get other than TV, we also get other benefits from that. Yeah, and then we alternate between HBO Max. Hulu and Netflix. So, nice. oh, and Disney. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool stuff. So, what's you? What's your plans? Uh, m- moving into the twenty twenty one. Um, my plans going into twenty twenty one. I guess very much depend on how today goes and how the coming weeks and months go. Um, Hopefully um, I'll be some part of theater coming back um, and making the, uh, of the theater world coming back of the film world's film still kind of here, but you know, not in the capacity it was before. Yeah. Um, and being part of like the changes and reckonings within those industries, as well as like on a broader scale in America that have come to light um, with, you know, systemic racism and all kinds of other institutional barriers for people that exist, even in these inst- like theater and film worlds that we think of as so much more progressive. Um and I mean, me as a white man, it's not really my place to be leading that, but hopefully I'll be able to help the people who are. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that when I was watching Bill Maher this morning mm-hmm. uh, and because um, I watched his show kind of late after it airs uh, and they were talking about how like a lot of the racial protests are being done by prominent by prominently by uh white males or mm. just white people in general. But I think that like, if you're really passionate about 
something like what are you gonna do like i don't know um oh yeah i mean i think it's I mean, important there's a to fire like... that they have that the, you know if you can go out and protest there's a fire there i mean what are you gonna do with it you gotta go out and protest oh absolutely um i, th- I think it's just important to like take your cues from for example at these protests taking take cues from black leadership take cues yeah. from trans leadership take cues from queer leadership um be there like to be there to support and amplify what they're saying rather than to like center ourselves in something that's that's yeah not really ours to center yeah that's solid yeah we're recording this podcast right around the corner from where eric garner was murdered by right um, you had mentioned that officer ex-officer pantaleo daniel pantaleo Mm -hmm. and um so this is where this this here is where black lives matter started right in 2013 wow yeah uh so it's been an interesting it's been interesting being here this whole time and just seeing how it just went global just Mm -hmm. went fucking global so important and we were driving around massachusetts over the weekend and just seeing black lives matter signs on all the lawns and like fuck that started right where we we live right where we were recording wow it's amazing Uh, so that's that's why i have like hope like even if today doesn't go the way we all are hoping it goes i still have hope because of that oh absolutely there's a lot of people who are on the right side of history here no, yeah, with with how awful and unprecedented things have both gotten and revealed themselves to have been for a while, it's also on the other side of that coin is the amazing things that are happening and the amazing traction that movements are getting to combat it. Yeah. Do you ever, do you have plans? So let's say Broadway continues to slowly come back to life or go stagnant again the film industry stays stagnant do you have the any kind of bug in you that makes you want to build your own projects at all um yeah i've um i've i've toyed around with writing um i've never like had anything like professionally done or published but like i've written like for myself in the past and am in the middle of writing something right now, actually, which I would love to pursue trying to like get on its feet. Um, but I think that all depends on (laughs) one, me actually finishing it and two, like having the wherewithal and chutzpah to actually get it out there. Um, I'm a huge proponent of trying to push actors to get into producing their own work, oh, whether absolutely. it's theater or film or both, uh, just because uh, the whole, you know, Drew Barrymore has her own production company that she vets projects through. We Reese Witherspoon, as we know, does that as well. And I just like a really big, I love that format mm-hmm. where they just take on their own projects because uh, it's this idea of asking permission versus, you know, just, Oh, well, why don't I just do it? Yeah, writing it for yourself. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot about like Rachel Bloom who uh created Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is 
one of my biggest influences in like, oh, there is someone who had this crazy, like, zany idea as a vehicle for herself, but also as a platform to make this really cool, never really before seen kind of show um, that can talk about really cool things and be in its nature collaborative. Um, so shout out to Rachel Bloom because I'd love to work with you. <laughs> All right. Oh, I'll have to get this to her. <laughs> uh, well, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Um, I I love the I love shout outs like that. I, you know, when I first moved to New York, I used to just cold write executives with my mm-hmm. ideas. <laughs> nice. Somebody's like, "You shouldn't be doing that." I'm like, "I know." But <laughs> I like just reaching out to people. Yeah. So, <laughs> Rachel Bloom. Cool. Oh. Um, yeah, that was a good, good, solid bit of information. Um, distracted yeah, for how long have I been distracted for? I'm <laughs> trying to. Uh, hard to say. Oh, yeah, close to a, an hour. At least a good hour of yeah. not doom scrolling. Yeah. Well, everybody, I'm. You know. Stay away from social media if you can. Uh, the be patient. The numbers aren't going to be final for a couple of days. Uh, Sean, thank you for coming all the way out here. Thank you for having I me. I know that Staten Island is a bit of a hike for everybody, um, and it's nice to just get out nowadays. I yeah, I agree, and it's as long as we're all taking precautions, it's fairly safe to do so, um, and. Uh, I hope you come on again. I'd Maybe love to. Uh, when the film is further along and I have something to show you. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, cool. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, make sure you subscribe and uh, check out all the links in the description. There will be a few. Thanks.